This episode is brought to you by Arches and Halos. Between being on Zoom calls all day, having to wear a mask everywhere, and now using your eyes and your eyes only to smile at people, it feels like the main thing people notice now are our eyes. Arches and Halos is our favorite line of brow products that are so easy to find, pick up, and with a few quick steps, you can have the most amazing brows ever. They have an amazing range of products from tweezers, razors, pencils, pomade, mousses, and gels. Find Arches and Halos on your next trip to Target and Walgreens. Arches and Halos, professional brow grooming. Be bold, be you. Xfinity XFi is more than just fast. It's internet that gives you peace of mind security. Because if it's connected, it's protected. Yeah, even your robot vacuum. Can your internet do that? Learn more at Xfinity.com slash XFi. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I am Caroline. And I'm Kristen. So Kristen, do you like to garden? I I would like to be able to garden. Yeah, I don't have a much of a green thumb. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes, you know, I, I go to Target or wherever and... Or the local gardening store mm-hmm. and pick up some seeds. Yeah. Um, but the things that I do with the seeds are a little bit different than what they used to do with the seeds in ancient Egypt. Yes. In terms of, uh, you probably water your seeds. I do. Mm-hmm. Whereas in ancient Egypt, you might have urinated on your seeds. Right. And this is not actually about gardening. No. Today we're talking about pregnancy tests. Yes, the history of pregnancy tests. This is um, a many times over requested podcast topic. And I'm so glad that people have requested it because, as you can probably imagine, pregnancy tests have a pretty colorful history tracing back to 1350 B.C. in ancient Egypt and where pregnancy tests involved urinating on seeds. And this is from a great timeline that we found from the National Institutes of Health. Right. Uh, they would, women would urinate on barley seeds and wheat seeds. Mm-hmm. And if the barley seeds sprouted, the woman was thought to be carrying a boy. Whereas if the wheat grew, she would be painting her pyramid nursery pink. <laughs> uh, and if neither sprouted, she supposedly would not be pregnant. Yeah. And this sounds really ridiculous. Like this would definitely not work or yeah. have any sort of significance at all. But actually, in the 1960s, some scientists tested this and found that pregnant women's urine actually did promote seed growth. Whereas like if you were not pregnant or if you were a man, no dice. Yeah. 70% of the time. Yeah, that's So maybe we should bring that back. Go buy some wheat seeds. A 70, you know what? 70%. I'm just not going to go with that. That's just not enough but accuracy. It, but it would be a completely organic pregnancy test. True, but what a mess. What, I mean, where would you keep it? I mean, I, I don't really want to answer that question in detail on this podcast. You're but, right. You, know, you, could, you could somehow make it happen. Uh, but moving on and also yes, speaking, please, let's move on. And speaking of urine, because... Urine comes up a lot in pregnancy tests. Mm-hmm. Uh, still have to do it. And it's, it go, this is actually one of the earliest examples of primitive urinalysis, mm-hmm. which is what uh, pregnancy tests today are. It's mm-hmm. just a form of urinalysis. Uh, but during the Middle Ages, and this is up through the 17th century, some men who were called, and this is, this is a little bit crass, but this is actually what they were called. This is from cited in National Institutes of Health. Google it. It's all over the place. Piss prophets. 
Right. These men called piss prophets would examine the color of someone's urine. And the description is horrific. Oh, yeah. If a woman had, and this is, wow, just so, so specific. If a woman had clear, pale lemon color leaning toward off-white, having a cloud on its surface, prego. Yep. Congratulations. You're pregnant. Yeah. Because your urine is cloudy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Well, they'd also mix wine with urine to test for any visible reaction that might happen. And uh, alcohol actually does react with certain proteins in urine. So this might have been successful sometimes. Yeah. The thing is, these uh, these ancient uh, medics were not all that off base in their obsession with women's urine to test for pregnancy. Mm -hmm. In the early 20th century, scientists identified two key hormones that have to do with pregnancy. We've got progesterone, which is the hormone that promotes gestation. And then they identified the hormone HCG, human chorionic gonadotropin, which is produced only when, or shortly after, I should say, a fertilized egg attaches to the uterine lining. Right. And the same scientist who identified HCG uh, tested for pregnancy by injecting a woman's urine into an immature rodent. Mm -hmm. And if there was a reaction, uh, this is the so-called AZ test because uh, based on their last names, uh, Ashim and Zondek. Mm -hmm. Could I be pronouncing those correctly? I think you could be. Uh, According to this test, if the rodent went into heat despite its immaturity, it would mean that the woman to whom the urine belonged was preggers. And this is an example of a bioassay, which mm-hmm. means that uh, some kind of chemical or hormone in humans could have a reaction in another animal. Right, in animals, yeah. Another mammal. But you could have a bioassay between between two different animals. It doesn't just have to be human to, to rodent. Right. And this test was taken a step further by uh, Lancelot Hogbin, who is not a fictional <laughs> Harry Potter character. Lancelot. Uh, Lancelot Hogbin uh, in South Africa. He adapted the test to be conducted using frogs. But for some reason, that one really never took off. They probably kept hopping away. Exactly. <laughs> uh But then in the 1930s, we have Dr. Maurice Friedman at the University of Pennsylvania discover that injecting urine into a female rabbit could detect pregnancy. Hence, we have the rabbit test, which is why, and I don't want to, I don't want to give away anything for those of you who have not caught up with all your mad men. I've never seen it. Well, it takes place, as you probably know, in, uh, in the 60s, -hmm. and there is a character who at some point has to go get a rapid test. Man, they were still doing it in the 60s? Yeah, and that's what what made me uh what made me think about it. And there's also a, an episode of MASH where Yeah, with Hot Lips. Mm-hmm, where Hot Lips has to go and they want to kill a- Radar's rabbit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um yeah, well basically this test works uh by uh, injecting urine again into a rabbit and if HCG is present, it tricks the rabbit's body into thinking it's pregnant and stimulates the ovaries. And um, it kind of spurs the growth of these tissue structures called the corpora lutea and corpora hemorrhagica. Um, But unfortunately for the rabbit, the only way to tell if the things were growing is to euthanize and dissect. Yes. Um, So (laughs) that's why there is the common phrase, uh, the rabbit died, to say that a woman is, (laughs) is pregnant. Sort of a grim way to announce your pregnancy. Right, because it has to do. But the thing is, though, uh, this was, I think, from Snopes.com. They were um, clearing up the, the phrase, 
of the rabbit is dying, meaning that a woman is definitely pregnant. Because the thing is, if the rabbit died, she could be pregnant or not, because no matter what, to test it, the rabbit's got to die. The rabbit always dies. The rabbit always dies. <laughs> Whether you're pregnant or not. Um, we get into more, uh, non-animal science, <laughs> non-involving rabbits. In no bioassays. Right. In the seventies, um, when greater strides were made towards the tests we're more familiar with now. Um, scientists still weren't exactly sure about the role of HCG in normal pregnancy or what normal levels should be, but in 1976, the FDA, uh, FDA approval was sought for the early pregnancy test, which actually became known as the error-proof test or EPT. Mm-hmm. And, uh, in 1977, EPT was ready for the U.S. market. Yeah. And we can, we have actually cancer research to thank for the home pregnancy test because HCG shows up when a woman or when uh, a fertilized egg attaches to the uterine lining, like I said earlier, but it also shows up in the development of certain cancers. Hmm. So some scientists were looking into whether or not they could develop some sort of early cancer detection tests and along the way were able at the same time to develop these home pregnancy tests, um, which, as you can imagine, this isn't too, too long after birth control arrives on the market. What was it? 1972 is the year, I want to say, when it became available to married and unmarried women alike. Uh, so then you have a few years later following on that, the at-home pregnancy test and uh, like you said, in 1978, it becomes advertised in major women's magazines, including Mademoiselle, McCall's, Red Book, etc. Right. So it was pretty much widespread and accepted by then. And actually, one article in 1979 in one of these women's magazines said uh, it was, you know, it was giving props to the home pregnancy test because it said that it protected women's privacy who didn't want their doctors to know they were sexually active. Right, because it could still be taboo to go, if you're a single woman, to go into your doctor's office and have to get a pregnancy test and then be slut-shamed by your gynecologist. Gosh. That's not, that's no fun. No. And one of the, uh, one of the advertisements from, this is coming from 1978 in Mademoiselle, says, for your $10, you get a pre-measured, you get pre-measured ingredients consisting of a vial of purified water, a test tube containing, among other things, sheep red blood cells, mm. as well as a medical dropper and a clear plastic support for the test tube with an angled mirror at the bottom. So you can pretend to be a scientist. Yes, you have to be a little bit of a scientist. And there is a description of a woman who had, uh, you know, she was recalling taking one of these very early at-home pregnancy tests. And she said that it really wasn't that easy to use, as you can imagine from all of the things that come in this box for your $10. She said, you pretty much felt like a chemist and you had to put the the drops of urine into a tube and shake it up and put a stick with white beads in it and hold the tube and turn it upside down. There's no way I would be coordinated <laughs> enough. Yeah, so uh, it has since come a long way. And in 2003, the FDA approved Clear Blue Easy's digital pregnancy test that got rid of the, uh, the line that you had to mm-hmm. detect and just says, pregnant. Not pregnant. Right. Easy enough. Yeah. I mean, I would still take 50. (laughs) (laughs) I would make sure to get 50. I'd I'd pull a Murphy Brown. Well, that's a good... (laughs) Yes, I did just reference a 1991 TV show. Elaborate on your Murphy Brown reference, please. No, Murphy Brown uh, in in an episode of Murphy Brown Brown. (laughs) took, what was it, 20 or 21 pregnancy tests, Mm -hmm. and they were all positive. So I would absolutely Murphy out. Well, see, that was the, the question that I had as I was researching home pregnancy tests. 
accuracy. Can mm-hmm. we trust these tests? And they're, they're pretty reliable according to WebMD. WebMD suggests you take a pregnancy test when you experience in this period nausea, breast tenderness, fatigue. Right. And, but most sources also suggest you wait until after you've missed a period because if you take it any earlier, the level of HCG could be too low or the embryo might not have been implanted yet. So all these tests that say, oh yeah, 99% accuracy, like the day after you have sex, I'd wait a little bit. Yeah, you might want to, sure. you might want to wait. And also you have to take into account, um, if you've had a lot of liquids right before you take your test, it could dilute the results. Right. Um, and here's, Here's the one thing mm-hmm. about home pregnancy tests that is a little, a little troubling. A false negative saying that you are not pregnant when in fact you are is more common. It's uh, terrifying. More, it's more common than a false positive, especially if, like you said, Caroline, if you take the test a little too soon, um, before you've missed that, that first period. Right. And actually there are several things, uh, that can affect whether you get the Correct answer. <laughs> um, if you're taking fertility drugs that contain HCG, you risk getting a false positive. Mm-hmm. Um, also, if you've recently been pregnant, if you have ovarian cysts, have experienced an ectopic pregnancy, or if you're menopausal, you risk getting a false positive. So those are just some, some things to keep in mind. It's not saying that home pregnancy tests aren't very reliable. You just have to, you know, keep in mind that there are a lot of different things going on to detect that, accurately detect that HCG. And I just want to assure people that um, most medicines do not affect pregnancy tests. So if you're on birth control or antibiotics, don't worry. And even though we have just outlined a number of caveats about home pregnancy tests, statistically, they are 97% accurate if you follow the directions carefully. And of course, as we always say in the podcast with anything related to the female body, if you're concerned, go see your doctor, go see your nurse practitioner, mm-hmm. get a urine test there, or you can go take a blood test, which is performed at a doctor's office, which is used less often, but it can detect pregnancy earlier, although it takes longer to get the results. Right. So if you want to be really sure and you're okay with waiting, yeah, definitely go to your doctor. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and of course, if your pregnancy test says that you're pregnant, then you should Go to a doctor. You should really go to the doctor. <laughs> that's, uh, that's a good time. But here's, here's the thing. Uh, we found this article on feminism and home pregnancy tests mm-hmm. a- asking the question of whether or not home pregnant, home pregnancy tests are a feminist technology. And I fully expected the answer to be a resounding yes. Yeah. And, uh, Linda Lane, uh, the article is called the home pregnancy test, a feminist technology question mark. Um, she says no. But they're not because it takes away women's autonomy and self-knowledge. Right. Because going into this research, I expected it to, I, I assume that the answer would be yes, because I think uh, you mentioned earlier that one of the articles from 1979 says, finally, women, we don't have to, you know, you don't have to get risk going to the doctor mm-hmm. and being shamed if you need to take a pregnancy test. But she says that home pregnancy tests have actually kind of, undercut the need for better women's health care and prenatal care mm-hmm. because we can now just go to the drugstore and for 10 bucks, 15 bucks, 
go buy a home pregnancy test or you can even get like a value pack of pregnancy yeah. tests and and take care of it like that. And she says that 15 to 20 percent of confirmed pregnancies and end in early spontaneous abortion, a.k.a. miscarriage. And since most occur within the first weeks of pregnancy, she argues that there are advantages to take performing the test later. Right. Which there are. I mean, that's a, like we said, you need to wait until you miss that first period, probably to get better, more right. accurate. Yeah, results. She says that that. Uh, giving yourself a test too early could lead to undue stress, whether you, whether the pregnancy is wanted or Mm -hmm. whether it's not, because, you know, let's say you do want to be pregnant. You're very excited. You've been trying, you take that test really early and it says positive. And then you're one of those 15 to 20% of people who have an early miscarriage Mm -hmm. that could, you know, be heartbreaking. But then, you know, there's also the other side where let's say somebody doesn't want this pregnancy. It was not expected then they've got to start thinking about, oh, my gosh, well, what am I going to do? You know, am I going to have this baby? Am I not? You know, a lot to think about when, you know, if you would just wait a while, mm-hmm. you know. Well, and Lane also argues that the availability of home pregnancy tests, kind of having that fail safe mm-hmm. there at the drugstore that we, anyone can go out and purchase has distracted us from paying closer attention to our bodies, to our menstrual cycles, to our reproductive systems and not paying attention to the physical signs that might indicate pregnancy instead relying on massive drug companies Mm -hmm. to sell us these, these urine sticks. Yeah. She says the only feminist pregnancy test is to listen to your body to all those things that WebMD talked about, the the misperiod, nausea, breast mm-hmm. tenderness, and fatigue. Although I, I think it's a compelling point, though. She says that uh, one feminist method to determine if you're pregnant is by doing a pelvic self-exam or That's, having... I don't know. I, I don't know about that. Exactly. I don't know how to do a pelvic self-exam. Maybe that, you know, this is a... I don't, I don't have a speculum lying around. Yeah, she says um, a contributor to the National Institutes of Health website recalls having had a plastic speculum around from the do-it-yourself pelvic exam days. Were there do-it-yourself pelvic exam days? I missed them. Uh, apparently. And she said she used to diagnose her first pregnancy by observing changes in her cervix. I think that <sighs> would be... But but okay. Okay. That I does look terrified, sound, so calm me down. You do look kind of terrified, but that would be pretty incredible to be that in tune with your body that you can observe the own changes in your cervix. I get where Lane's coming from. Yeah, I mean, I, ugh, I think that I'm, I get it too. I'm not, I'm not completely on board with this notion that home pregnancy tests are anti-feminist, right? but I get what she's saying. I think that perhaps we should um, expand the, I don't want to say arsenal because that sounds so militant, but <laughs> perhaps expand the resources available to us, including perhaps do it yourself, pelvic self exam. I'm not doing it. And I mean, but I'm not, I'm not. But Caroline Lane also, she also says that a friend could help you do it. So you know what? Kristen, what are you doing later? <laughs> what? No, I turn, really, I, I like my gynecologist. I've gone to her for 10 <laughs> years. I will stick with her. And listeners out there, if you have, if you have any recollection of the do-it-yourself pelvic exam days, or if you're familiar with this and doing pelvis, pelvic self exams, mm-hmm. please write us in and let us know. I'm, I'm genuinely curious mm-hmm. to know more. Yeah, me too. I've never this. heard about it. Yeah. Um, and I think with that, I think that's our history of home pregnancy yes. tests. A brief history of peeing on seeds and killing rabbits. But how fascinating though. We Indeed. got to learn about piss profit. I know. 
and about what they looked for in urine, which grosses me out. That's going to be my new, it's my, my favorite fact of the week, Caroline. I know. That's my new band name also. <laughs> yes. We should start the, the Piss Profits band name. And if so, yeah, if you'd like to join our band, send us an email. Yeah. Momstuff at HowStuffWorks.com. And I have an email here from Daniel. I just have one to, to read today because it's just so great. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is my, this is actually my favorite, one of my favorite emails we've ever gotten. Um, this is in response to our episode on douching, mm-hmm. entitled Bag the Douche. And it goes like this. Your douche podcast reminded me of a traumatic episode of my childhood. During the time period when Mass and Gill was airing your favorite commercial, so eloquently acted out during the podcast, I thank you, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. my older brother and cousin put me up to something dastardly. I was perhaps seven or eight, and the older children convinced me that I should go up to my grandmother and reenact said commercial. While they hid outside her bedroom door, I slowly stepped into the room and asked, <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> Grandma, can I ask you a personal question? Yes, Daniel. Grandma... Do you douche? No, but I used to. We don't have sex anymore. Oh, no. I ran from the room screaming while my brother and cousin died laughing in the hallway. Your podcast, while also informative, brought me back to this humorous memory of my childhood. I now need to devise an appropriate revenge for my brother. That's great. Grandma, do you douche? Awesome. He got a little more information than he (laughs) requested. So uh, thank you to everyone who has written in momstuff at howstuffworks.com is the email address. And if there's anything about the history of home pregnancy tests we failed to leave out, send it our way, please. Or you can post it over on our Facebook page, or you can alert us on Twitter. Our tag is at momstuffpodcast, or you can find us on our blog. It's Stuff Mom Never Told You from howstuffworks.com. Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join House to Fork staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow. The House to Fork's iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Dear Young Rockers Season 2 is a raw, honest, strange, and entertaining story about finding yourself in your early 20s and a lifelong relationship with music. It's hosted by me, Chelsea Erson, and is executive produced by Jake Brennan of Disgraceland. Dear Young Rocker comes to you from Double Elvis Productions and iHeartRadio. Listen to Dear Young Rocker on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Amy Nelson. And I'm Sam Edis. We're the hosts of iHeart's newest podcast, What's Her Story with Sam and Amy. We both have our own businesses, and between us, we have seven children. And since the moment we met, we've been sharing our stories with each other. The thing is, we all know the stories of industry titans like Bezos and Jobs, but the stories of women, they remain incomplete. We ask questions no one else even touches. We are not afraid to get personal. So listen to What's Her Story with Sam and Amy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts.